Good evening, and thanks so much for joining us for this final service of Psyker Camp. And I just want to ex express my appreciation to President Matt Brooks and Drew, our audiovisual person who's helped us so much get these videos to you during the camp meeting this year. What an honor it has been for me to be a part of the camp, and it is the 150th anniversary celebration. I even placed uh, that on my TV screen behind me while I was doing these sermons. So thanks so much for all who uh, participated and for your confidence in me and allowing me to share these sermons with you. In the sermon tonight, I want to invite you to take an express trip with me through the early days of the first century church. We're going to go quickly. You may want to try and follow along. Otherwise, just listen closely. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a, a, a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Acts chapter 8, verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. This is Peter at Cornelius' house. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. Then finally, Acts chapter 15, verse 7. Peter got up and addressed the crowd. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. An evangelist friend of mine was conducting a camp meeting in the state of Georgia some years ago. And one day he decided to take a walk around the campground and he was going to take his little daughter, Emily, with him, who was four years old. She insisted that they take her cousin, little Fred, who was also four years old, on this journey around the campground with them. And as they came around the corner of a building, they came face to face with a statue of John Wesley. And they came under his stern glaze. He was dressed completely from top to bottom in his Geneva robe. He said those kids stopped dead in their tracks. And little four-year-old Fred asked the question, who in the world is that? And he said, my daughter, four-year-old Emily, looked at him and said, don't you know who that is? That's the shadow of God. My friend said, I don't know where she came up with that answer. It was just remarkable. For those of us who embrace the message of the Spirit-empowered life, there is no debate that John Wesley cast a shadow not only for righteousness, but also for holiness in his day, as his message changed the spiritual landscape of, in, of England. Believe it or not, this is also true of one of the apostles. 
following the birth of the church. As a matter of fact, after the day of Pentecost, the word tells us that people would actually bring their sick into the street so that the shadow of Peter might be cast upon them. It's found in Acts chapter 5. It says, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And as a result, the people brought sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Now, here's the proposition for you tonight. Everyone casts some kind of spiritual shadow. Every church casts a spiritual shadow. And you and we, as the church, we have a choice. We can either cast the shadow of a spirit-empowered life or the shadow of a life that professes Christianity but has no power, simply operating in your own strength. Wouldn't it be something if we, the people of God, the holiness crowd, if we were so filled with the Holy Spirit that when we walked into a room, it was as though the presence of Jesus had entered that room? Well, believe it or not, that's the way it's supposed to be. For those of us who profess to believe what is taught in the holiness message. Now, you probably ne never met my mom. My father preached Syker camp many, many years ago. He and mother have been with the Lord now for almost 20 years, both of them. But when you would meet my mother, she was so filled with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit that she just would get Jesus all over you. As a child growing up, I had so much respect for my mother that I could not disrespect her. I, I could not lie to her. I could not do anything that I knew would hurt my mother. Even now, some 19 and a half years after my mother's home going, I still have people who met my mom and who were influenced by her spirit-empowered life. It was amazing how this 98-pound, ninth-grade educated, never-drove-a-car, spirit-empowered mom cast such a huge spiritual shadow. And my friend, I believe that the corporate cry of our generation to the 21st century church is something like this. We have listened to what you've had to say. We've watched your political activism. We've read your books, and we've observed your church programs. We've heard you rattle the sword of Christian jihad, and now we would like to see a genuine demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit that makes a difference in you and your church and this world. Mark it well. We're going to cast a shadow, and it will either be the shadow of a powerless life and church, or it will be the shadow of spiritual empowerment. You will cast a shadow. By tracking the early days of the first century church, we discover what casting a huge spiritual shadow will require. It will require the power of the Holy Spirit historically, the same power that filled those disciples and gave birth to those who made up that first century church is available to you and me. Jesus told the disciples there before he ascended back to the Father, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, and to the ends of the earth. 
a dear friend of mine who is a leading church consultant and leadership expert, he was invited by a particular congregation to come and help them sort through all the internal problems that they were having that were keeping them from being the church that God would have them be. He said, I spent an entire day with the church leadership and we prayed and he said, everything I suggested to them as to what might be the answer, as to what they could use to help them sort through what was causing all the problems in their church was completely dismissed. He said, I've never felt this way before, but I just wanted to slap them because they wouldn't respond. They just wouldn't listen. He said, at the end of the day, I looked at that group of leaders of that church and I said, well, maybe you have some suggestions. Maybe you have an idea as to what we can do that can right the ship. This church is in terrible shape, as you've already noted. Do you have a plan? He said, an old farmer dressed in a flannel shirt and bib overalls, brogan boots, was sitting in the back of the room, his chair leaning against the wall of that room. And finally, he spoke up. First time he had said anything all day long. And this is what he said. I think we need to dynamite the whole thing. That could be the subtitle of the book of Acts. Because the Greek word for power in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is you shall receive power. That root word in the Greek is dynamos. It's where we get our word dynamite. And I wonder, and I'm not here to cast a spurgeon on anyone or to put anyone under a guilt trip, but I wonder, could it be that we need the dynamite of the Holy Spirit to blow up what is holding us back, to clear out all the residue? You see, over time, the debris of attitudes and words and life and history, the way we've always done it mentality blocks the flow of the Holy Spirit and needs to be blown up gotten out of the way, this generation. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but this generation will not sit still with the petty, clutching, dig-in-your-heels attitude that's been in place in so many churches for many years. You see, this is the show-me generation. Show me why I should consider Jesus. Show me why I should come to your church. Show me what makes you different. Don't just tell me, but show me. And the only way we can show this world is through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is likened to a river. Jesus said, and out of your inmost being shall flow rivers of living water. And the Spirit must have an unobstructed, unobstructed flow in our lives and in the lives of our churches. My father, the late Dr. J. Harold Lohman, used to say of the Holy Spirit, if you have the inflow, you will have the upflow. That will cause the overflow, and that will result in the outflow. I'm a country boy. I grew up in North Carolina, on the north side of Greensboro, North Carolina. I lived along with my mom and dad and my four siblings beside my Uncle Barney and Aunt Ruby and my Uncle Hazel and my Aunt Helen. My Uncle Hazel built all three of the houses that were situ situated side by side. He worked in the denim mill, the blue denim mill, cone mill in downtown Greensboro, North Carolina. 
but he loved to farm. And he had some barns and some outbuildings and he did some gardening and had a few head of cattle and some hogs from time to time. And down on the back side of his property, there was a pond. And he created that pond in such a way that his nephews and niece and uh, our friends that lived around us could go and we could swim in the hot days of the summer. He even built a bathhouse so we could change our clothes and enjoy that pond. Every once in a while, when we would go down to enjoy the cool water of the pond, we would get there and we would notice that since we were there the last time, a green, ugly slime, some kind of moss, had developed on the surface of that pond. And so one of us would go up to Uncle Hazel's house and we'd tell him what had happened. And he'd say, I know what the problem is. I'll take care of it. He said, you see, it's spread, it's fed by a spring. And on one side of the pond, there is a drain. And when that drain gets clogged up, the water becomes stagnant. And that's what creates what you see on the surface of the pond. So it is in our lives. If we somehow allow the flow of the Spirit to be hindered in our lives, then we too, like that pond on my Uncle Hazel's farm, will become stagnant. Ezekiel spoke of the river, a type of the Holy Spirit. In Ezekiel 47, he said, everything lives where the river flows. And he spoke of the presence of God through the power of the Holy Spirit being ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, or rivers to swim in. And it's God's intention that you and I live in the realm of the Spirit to where we can describe our spiritual state of grace as rivers to swim in. Do you realize that the birth of the church at Pentecost was an explosion on the landscape of human history? Common, ordinary people, from fishermen to tax collectors, men, women, a prostitute, a doctor, the average person on the street, someone that was healed by the hand of Jesus Christ, were turned into empowered proclaimers of the gospel. Hear it today, my friend. You will cast a shadow. Casting a spiritual empowered shadow will require the reality of the corporate presence of the Holy Spirit. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all in one accord, in one place. Sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. Fill the whole house where they were sitting, where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that came and rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what you see here in the book of Acts chapter 2 is not just a documented picture of what the church used to be. It is an invitation to personally become a part of that which has always been. Someone said, we don't need a new Pentecost. We need to understand what the original Pentecost meant for those believers. You see, the book of Acts the acts of the Holy Spirit, by the way, is a portrait of the Holy Spirit in action through people like you and people like me. A return to the book of Acts is not a return to antiquated history. It's investigating and understanding our spiritual heritage. I'm a baby boomer. 
I was born right at the end of World War II. And if you're of my generation and you enjoyed the music of the 60s and the early 70s, you might remember Peter, Paul, and Mary, folk singers of those years. I used to sing my sons to sleep with one of their songs. I'd sit down by their bed and I would begin to sing Puff the Magic Dragon. Someone told me when I told that story at another place that you were singing a song about drugs. Well, I checked it out and John Stuckey or Paul Stuckey said, no, it's not about drugs. It had nothing to do with drugs. It was just a simple childlike song. And I would sing that song. I was living in Nashville, Tennessee, and I had the privilege of going to a Christian musical festival at what was then called Opryland USA in Nashville back in the decade of the 80s. And I met Paul Stuckey. He had become a Christian. Wonderful, gentle, tall man. Very kind, very gracious. But when he was still singing with Peter and Paul, or, or Mary, he said that he was miserable. Miserable. And one day he went to Bob Dylan, a well-known rock and roll writer and singer. And he said to Bob Dylan, he said, Bob, I'm miserable. I'm strung out on drugs. I have these habits that are bothering me and harming my body. He said, I'm just a miserable human being. Is there anything that I can do? And Bob Dylan told Paul Stuckey this. He said, Paul, there is something you can do. Go back and find the house where you lived when you were growing up. And you've got the money to do it. If it's available, buy the house. Live in that house for a while. And then go to the school you attended when you were coming up as a child and young person. He said, find the desk you sat in if it's still there. And then find some of those teachers who taught you if they're still alive. And Paul Stuckey looked at Bob Dylan and said, well, why on earth should I do that? And Bob Dylan said to Paul Stuckey, because if you go back to where you came from, maybe you can discover who you were. And if you discover who you were, maybe you'll find out who, who you're supposed to be. The church of which you and I are a part was born in a flame of passion, not the ordered structure of just doing church like we often see today. The birth of the church was not a tidy human experience. It was a spiritual explosion on the stage of human history. I sometimes wonder if we even understand what happened at Pentecost. Obviously, there was phenomena, but it was more than phenomena. Pentecost is about a church being birthed in response to the will and mind of God for the propagation of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And that will happen in supernatural power. And it's supposed to continue from that day when Jesus prophesied that it would happen to this very day in which you and I live and until the day when Jesus Christ returns. It's about people being filled with the Holy Spirit being the embodiment of Jesus on the face of this earth. It's about people like you and like me from all walks of life living in the realm of the Spirit, so empowered by the Spirit that the church of which they are a part truly becomes salt and light in an ungodly world. 
You cannot define the church in terms that leave out Pentecost. You can have organization. You can have programs. You can have the best music, the nicest facility. And all that will do good for a season or until the next best, best seller by the most well-known author fades in popularity. Members of that first century church cast a shadow that covered most of the known world of their day because of the power delivered on the day of Pentecost. We will cast a shadow. Then finally, there will be evidence we're casting a shadow. There will be personal proof of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 19, we read these words. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. Now hear the wording. He found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no. No, we have not ever heard there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. There is no way to understand the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer apart from the word holy. It is no mere coincidence that the Spirit who has been given is called the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was for everyone. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And this promise is to you to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And there is a primary purpose, a twofold primary purpose for the coming baptism of the Holy Spirit. When that Jewish council met in Jerusalem to discuss the Gentiles accepting Christ and even being baptized with the Holy Spirit, they wanted to know about the Gentiles. How could they receive what we have received? At that time, the first century church was nothing more than a side porch Christian sect. And Peter said, you want to know how I know that they received the Holy Spirit? I saw it. I saw it in them. I saw him in them. God made no distinction between us and them, baptizing them with the Holy Spirit, purifying their hearts by faith. How do we know that we've been baptized with the Holy Spirit? Yes, there is renewed empowerment that only he can give to us. And then there is the evidence of a pure life. The litmus test of the Spirit-empowered life is power and purity. The evidentiary proof of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not what many think it is. I grew up during the charismatic inception when it came on the scene back in the 70s. And there were those who believed that the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was speaking in some kind of unknown language. Don't get me wrong, I believe in the gifts of the Spirit, but I believe that they're distributed 
to the people of God according to the mind and heart and will of the Holy Spirit, not according to the demands of the individual. Some think it's some phenomena, but in reality, it's power and purity. That's the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Somebody asked the question, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit in you or are you in the Holy Spirit? When you experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is the Holy Spirit in you or are you in the Holy Spirit? Yes. It's both. It's a proverbial sponge in the bucket of water. Take that dry sponge and you put it into the bucket of water is the sponge in the water or is the water in the sponge yes peter is now filled with the holy spirit speaking with power on the day of pentecost in front of those same people of whom he was afraid when jesus was apprehended and then crucified now wouldn't it have been something if after they had been baptized with the Holy Spirit, if Peter in particular would have gone back to that vacillating Peter that he was before the day of Pentecost. But we know that did not happen. Once being filled with power from the Holy Spirit, his life was moved to a different level. And he went on to be that great witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God and gave his life. Tradition tells us that when Peter, when Peter was about to be executed for preaching the gospel, he asked how he was going to be executed. This is tradition. We cannot document this historically, but the tradition says that when he asked how he was going to be executed, they said, you're going to be crucified. And Peter said, if you're going to crucify me like you did my Lord, I'm not worthy to be crucified like he was. Turn me upside down. And tradition says, that's how Peter died, standing strong for the kingdom of God. In Luke chapter 11, verse 13, we find these words. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. My friend, you're going to cast a shadow. And it will be the shadow of an empowered, purified life, or it will be the shadow of a mediocre, church-attending, professing Christian. When I was gathering material for this message, I was sitting on the front porch of our home in Columbus, Indiana, and my wife was sitting in her chair across the porch, and she was doing some crochet work. I was listening to a tape of a friend of mine who was preaching on the subject of the Holy Spirit, and I was taking some notes and gathering some ideas from his sermon. And when that sermon was concluded, I turned the sermon off, and my wife put down her crochet work. And she looked across the porch at me. She said, Lane, I have never asked to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
would you come and kneel here by my chair and pray with me that I might experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I was taken aback because I'd never seen this wife of mine do anything questionable ever in all the years of our marriage. I'd never seen her treat anybody unkindly. I'd watched her do her devotions on a daily basis when we were together. As far as I knew, she was walking in all that God had for her. But that day she said, I've never asked to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Humbly and with tears in my eyes, I knelt by my wife's chair and I began to pray for her. I don't remember what I prayed. But that day, my wife experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Did she speak in tongues? No. Did she begin immediately to walk the streets of Cottage Avenue where we live and knock on doors? No. But this I do know. She was willing to experience and know firsthand everything that God had for her. You will cast a shadow. John Wesley said, if receiving the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is by faith, then why not now? If you're listening to my voice and you're a Christian, but there seems to be no power in your life, the questions about your spiritual integrity and your life is not pure as far as the relationship between you and him being pure, this could be God's message for for you at this time. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I would ask that now, as we consider the messages that I've shared during this encampment, the will of God, your sanctification, that we are to be holy because the Lord our God is holy, and now the reality of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, just as it was experienced by that first century church, it can be experienced by each and every one of us. And I pray for that person that might need what I've shared in this message. And they would seek your face and by faith say, Lord, I want you to come. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I want to know power and purity in my life. I pray and ask this on behalf of those listening and watching today. In the name of Jesus, I pray it. Amen and amen. May God bless you.